0: Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Kuiper Collective Podcast. My name is Branson Parler. I'm Professor of Theological Studies at Kuiper College. And with me today is Professor Andrew Zwart, the Professor of Interdisciplinary Studies. Uh, Andrew, welcome.
1: Thank you. It's great to be here again.
0: Yeah. Uh, Today we are going to uh, dig in and uh, reflect a little bit on a book that uh, both of us have read recently and uh, have found uh, very interesting, uh, provocative, and helpful. It really a great example of interdisciplinary work, work that brings several different fields together, uh, and that is a book uh, titled The Coddling of the American Mind. Uh, that's by Greg Lukanoff and Jonathan Haidt. Uh, and so, uh, Andrew, maybe if you could kick us off and just talk a little bit about the book, kind of what's the main focus of the book, where is it coming from, and a little bit about maybe why it resonated with you or some of the significance of it.
1: Sure. So I think, um, as you said, it, in a lot of ways, it really is an interdisciplinary book, and um, you know, he's uh, been researching in psychology. Um, he's thought about, uh, well, his last book, um, The Righteous Mind, deals a lot with uh, our kind of political polarization. Um, so he's, he's bringing all these kind of different facets together in this book. Um, but the, the common theme that runs through it is this idea that um, as a society, we've really become, in a sense, afraid of uh, certain ideas. And there are three kind of uh, themes that run through the book uh, he calls them the great untruths uh, that that uh, we are raising. Uh, kind of the current generations with. So the first untruth he speaks about is the idea um, that essentially whatever doesn't kill you makes you weaker, right? And so this goes against kind of conventional wisdom, the whatever uh, doesn't kill you makes you stronger. The the second one, if I remember right, is um, that we should always trust our feelings. Um, and the third kind of major theme of the book is that uh, the world can be divided into good people and bad people. And I think that, that, that last one especially sort of resonates with some of the things he talked about in his book, The Righteous Mind. Um, and so so these are three sort of themes that he says that we are, we are essentially teaching uh, our children um, that, that a lot of us, too, are coming to believe these things. Um, and essentially, uh, it's a kind of cautionary tale of uh, when we believe these things, what, what goes wrong? Um, he focuses partly on what's happening in education, but I think there are, there are larger implications as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so it is interesting, like you mentioned, that you've got uh, – he's coming at it from several different angles. And, you know, just – we were just recently in the lunchroom hanging out and uh, kind of just started having this discussion about our kids. Uh, you know, when do you let kids have the smartphones? How does that – how does something like that factor into his discussion? Because he does spend uh, a number of chapters talking about parenting and thinking about some of those questions – Uh, and and how they feed into this
1: right yeah um so so the the first thing um i mean is he he spends a lot of time just talking about the shift in a lot of ways that's happened with parenting um so uh i think branson like me you probably grew up Uh, With a lot of free time um, and a lot of free range, right? Yeah. Uh, So, like, I, my wife and I joke about it sometimes, like, you know, kind of like, I can't believe my parents used to let me do these things, right? Yeah. Um, So, we would, for example, you know, on a, uh, like this past weekend or, or maybe the weekend before when it snowed, like, you know, my siblings and I, when I was probably six, seven years old, would, walk half a mile to the local park and go tobogganing, tobogganing for several hours my parents had no idea where we were yeah or they, they knew where we were but like you know they they didn't have eyes on us right? right and we would often get hurt and sometimes bullied and um and then we would return home um so, so I, I sort of bring this up because, because like, as parents, Jane and I right now are kind of like dealing with these questions, like at at what age do we let our kids, you know, uh, walk around the block without without us or go to the park or that kind of thing? Um, and the shift that's happened between, so we on the one hand we're overprotecting um, our children, um, on the other hand, um, you know, one of the ways that kids are now occupying themselves is with screens. Um, um, and of course, ironically, um, he kind of points out that that there's probably much more damage being done uh, to our children through uh, kind of excessive use of screen time. Um, and, uh, and and then it's also that that because of our overprotection, um, that children are also having a much harder time actually learning to. Um, fend for themselves. Well, I, I guess the the big term he uses is antifragile, right? Uh, yeah. So, yeah. What did you What did you make of that term?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that that term for me was really helpful. Uh, and and he uses that term antifragile to 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 talk about uh, different systems. So, for example, he says the immune system is antifragile. That uh, we actually need exposure to certain things in order to. Uh, raise our immunity to them. And so uh, I just, he he used this example in a recent talk he gave as part of uh, Calvin's January series, where he says, you know, part of the reason that peanut allergies are such a thing today, such a problem is because uh, we actually have uh, largely followed many medical doctors advice and said, you know, don't expose your kids to this at all. And it turns out that's actually not helpful in the long run because the immune system is anti-fragile, it needs exposure to certain things to help it grow in its immunity. And so he says, similarly, uh, you know, we should recognize that that kids, little human beings, are are also anti-fragile. That it's important to actually go through a process of of learning, of growth, of being challenged. Of uh, you know, for kids having to learn to make wise decisions. Uh, obviously, again, I think he spells this out pretty helpfully in the book. You know, he's not saying basically just ignore your kids, <laughs> let, them, let them do whatever, let them go wherever, but saying, how do you, how do you deal with uh, the reality of some level of risk, a, a reasonable level of risk that enables kids to grow in responsibility, to, to help them grow in their own ability to know that they can uh, handle and engage uh, difficult circumstances, uh, even difficult ideas. And so, you know, as I was reading this, You know, part of the book is it's interesting because their focus really is on uh, what this looks like in public colleges and universities in our context. But as I was reading them kind of describe in the book some of these uh, pretty intense uh, incidences at different colleges where, uh, you know, students are protesting administrators, professors, others are are losing their jobs uh, for sort of not saying the right thing uh, at the right time or maybe pushing back and challenging students on some things. You know, I was reading those stories, and and to me it actually was like a, a flashback to kind of the very conservative, fundamentalist uh, environment that I grew up in, uh, where, you know, it, it wasn't so much the case in my family per se, but often in my church or larger church circles, you know, the idea was really, you, you've got to keep your kids safe, don't mm-hmm. expose them to any you know, worldly or secular ideas. And so it, it's really about almost like isolating your kids from anything that is gonna challenge them. They're gonna push back, gonna, you know, cause them to, to raise questions about their Christianity or or orthodoxy. And again, what's fascinating about this book is it kind of says, you know, this, this push toward a kind of orthodoxy is yeah. out there in the broader culture. It's out there in, in a lot of colleges and universities. Uh, and because of that, at, the, at institutions that are supposed to be sort of bastions of, of higher learning, of free inquiry, uh, it seems like there are some things you just can't say, some questions you can't ask. Right. Uh, because of the inability of uh, many students today to, to really be able to process that in a good and healthy way.
1: Yeah, there's a, there's a couple of things that really struck me um, as I was reading this and thinking actually about uh, Kuiper. Uh, so the first thing, right, is um, he talks a lot about um, this whole idea of, again, whatever doesn't kill you will make you weaker. And he, he sort of talks about how, uh, especially actually on the extreme left, that certain words, certain ideas are are kind of uh, so taboo that even the mention of them um, is kind of caused to, to get people fired or to kind of like, you know, um, um, in, in some cases, people are actually sort of taking violent actions. Um, so as I was reading this, I was thinking about how, okay, so so obviously that's really extreme. Um, at the same time, you know, one of the things I teach in, in class is that uh, words do carry power, and I think as Christians, that's yeah. a really important idea, right? Um, and so, so you know, we often talk in class about you know wanting to be very careful with our words. Um, and so, it's it, for me there was a kind of tension there of like how how can we teach our students to be careful with words, to be thoughtful with words, and yet um, not to not to kind of have this notion that um, we can't disagree or that um, you know uh, certain ideas are off the table, you know? Um, and I think, I think he doesn't get into this as much, but I think one thing that that was helpful to think about is there's also a difference between, you know, using a word deliberately towards an individual in order to wound them. Right. Where we would say that's, that's obviously off the table and yet raising questions, just raising ideas, you know, that's what good, healthy school, like education is all about. Um, and that that you, we can uh, be exposed to ideas without them doing damage to us. Um, and so he, he actually gives this, uh, you you mentioned this a minute ago um, in, the, in the lunchroom just about the proverb, uh, you know, we don't prepare the road for the child, we prepare the child for the road. Um, and so I think that's part of, obviously, parents' jobs, but it's part of education's uh, job as well. And, and I think, and I'd love to hear your your uh, idea on this, Branson. So I'm just gonna say, I think that's actually one of the things that is a real strength of Kuiper College. Um, one of the reasons I love teaching here and having good conversation with colleagues is because I don't think there's this fear, right? Yeah. Um, and so as I as I talk to students about what they're learning in class like this is a place where like the really tough questions are raised, um, and rather than say we can't ask those questions, I think it's no, let's ask those questions. And then, of course, um, the best place to actually ask those questions is is in a place where you've got uh, people uh, who are thoughtful and who and who have spent a lot of time thinking about these things to be able to kind of model um, what maybe good answers look like, or even um, how to wrestle with the question and not know the answer but still be faithful, right? Yeah. Um, and so that's that's as I was reading this, I thought, yeah, that's that's actually um, I think a, a strength of Kuiper College is that we're able to. Um, we don't shy away from ideas, even, even hard ones. Yeah. Is that your experience as well? Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I mean, I think in reading this book, it really, again, reinforced to me the, the value and the power of Christian higher education that I think, you know, part of the reason that I, uh, loved my college experience is because again, growing up in the church, sometimes these kind of questions are not encouraged, right uh, that we don't, you know, that there is a kind of coddling of the Christian mind. If we could, yeah. if we could put it that way, that, you know, it's don't ask hard questions. Um, yeah, even, just, even just some kind of
1: topics take, in, in some places are kind of taboo, right? right. Like, I, I mean, this is maybe an extreme example, but some places like even to to talk about evolution is kind of like, no, we, we you know, that's, that's a secular thing.
0: Yeah. You know? Yeah, exactly. Those, those topics that, that can be hot-button topics in the broader culture, or even topics like, you know, part of my doctoral work was thinking about uh, war and violence through the lens of John Howard Yoder's theology. I mean, even a question like that, like when should we actually engage in war and violence? Right. How do we think about those things? Most churches don't provide a framework for saying, well, as the disciples of Jesus. One way or whatever your answer is, It's like we just we don't really even have a framework for asking or or answering those questions. And so for me, you know, my experience of Christian higher education, both in undergrad and graduate, uh, was really this opportunity to ask these deep questions. And and again, to to recognize that there are actually Christians who have asked and and who are asking and who are wrestling with these uh, big questions in a way that is. That comes at it with this posture of faith seeking understanding, and mm-hmm. and so it's recognizing that um, at the end of the day we may not have all the answers. That our faith, in that sense, you know, the root of our faith is not just the arguments that I can give for it, right? Uh, but that there's something deeper that's at work. But but recognizing that if God is at work uh, in us. Uh, and through us that it's okay to ask those questions, that we should want to ask those questions and that, that asking those, those difficult questions, uh, you know, I think about the questions that come up like in a philosophy class, well, what about the problem of evil? Right. How do we think about morality uh, in our broader culture? How do we, how do we, how do we live in the world in that way? Um, Those are questions that for a lot of reasons, we're not engaging them. There's, there's not, maybe a, a good pathway for that in local churches, uh, unless you've got a place where that kind of thinking and that kind of questioning is encouraged. Uh, a lot of times it's sort of, well, topic by topic, piecemeal, if it comes up, we'll address it maybe. Uh, but the really the benefit of a place like Kuiper is that you know, we're going to put you through your paces. (laughs) You know what I mean? That this, it really is. We want people to be able to ask difficult questions, to find answers to those questions and and really to push through that rather than, uh, try to avoid it or, or to dance around it.
1: Yeah. I think, I think too, that, um, you know, one of the things that, if, if I could just keep patting us on the, you know. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. <laughs> um, no, but but seriously, like, I think one of the things that, that too, I really appreciate is that we also don't have the sense that we we automatically have to agree immediately upon the answers, right? Um, so if you take, yeah. like, your example, I don't think we've, I think we had a panel once that kind of hit this, but, like, just your example about, like, war. Like, I, I, I'm sure there would be differences of opinions among students and faculty about that topic. But I don't think that um, that that we would ostracize anyone for a view held, right? Um, and that that I think too, even like in theology classes, as I've sat in on some, um, that even like well, maybe like affirming uh, certain beliefs to also just recognize that there are Christians who believe in different things, and that that doesn't automatically make them heretics. Um, and that, that kind of hits his, his, the third theme I mentioned. Um, you know, he sort of says like, like this fallacy that the world is divided into good and, and bad people, or maybe another way to say that is people who are right and people who are wrong. Right. Um, and it's so easy for us, both again in the secular world but but also well, as if there's two different worlds, but you know what I mean yeah um, yeah, but in Christian circles that uh, I think we get into that mindset as well that um we pick our issues and then we're you know we're right, and everyone else is wrong um and and not not always do we carry uh the right sense of humility um around uh, yeah
0: yeah yeah that they're that, that when we think about what drives us, I mean, it's it's this interesting combination in the book because, but like you're saying, there's this, this sharp divide between the world is divided into good and evil people, really, people who are on these two different sides, uh, and how do you kind of negotiate your way through the world? How do you figure out sort of where you land on different social or theological or political issues? And it's it's this, you know, Sort of Star Wars themed. <laughs> Sorry to pick on Star Wars. Trust your feelings, right? Right. right. Which, which is, you know, that there's something deeper there, and I think it's, it's again, the goal here is not to say like to to set feelings over against thinking or rationality, uh, but to to be able to have a discussion about complicated social or political issues uh, seems very difficult today because every it, it, things are so loaded. Uh, that you know, we we kind of want to put people in boxes or put people on the other side and say, "Well, that's that's where you're at," and that is um, sort of attacking me or right. attacking people in kind of the worst worst possible scenario. And so, it really, it seems like it creates this vicious cycle that just reinforces, uh, in a lot of ways, our our inability to to listen. Yeah, uh, yeah. and it it just it it makes me wonder. What would especially think about here here we are in 2020 it's a political mm-hmm. it's a political uh, climate where it seems hard to have any discussions how can how can we uh, as Christians actually cultivate mm-hmm. good conversations around these things without falling into the you know the myth of of fragility or the myth of just trusting your feelings what I don't know. What yeah. what do you think that looks like?
1: Yeah, so I, I've been thinking a little bit about this lately, and I've been thinking about a particular phrase that I hear um, from kind of like both sides of the political divide. But again, I think we could apply this to to you know issues of religion or and, and so the phrase is um, how could anyone think that way or mm. you know why would anyone you know and and I think that. Um, that's a real temptation, right? Like how could the other side, can't they just see what's obvious? And I think maybe as Christians, uh, we have to pause when we <laughs> find ourselves uttering that statement. Um, and we actually like, there's a place where we're called to maybe use our imagination, you know, to actually say, yeah. okay, why, why would, that's obviously very different from what I think. And again, this goes up both ways, right? On, on every kind of side of any issue, but Okay, why would someone think differently than I than I do on this? How how can I better imagine? How can I empathize with maybe where they're coming from? Um, and and I think that's kind of straight out of good, uh, you know, that's that's Augustinian uh, hermeneutics, right? Yeah. When, when you say like yeah. charity of love and, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um,
0: yeah. That there's really a sense of of um, trying to trying to understand, trying to listen, uh, trying to not project. Sort of my worst, my worst fears or impulses onto what somebody else is trying to do, um, and I do think to go back to your point about even the the kind of language that we use. I've uh, as I've been listening to some of the arguments around the impeachment yeah. trial, yeah, it's been interesting to me to hear the number of times that in the course of the actual argument, uh, I hear words like that's nonsense, or that's absurd, like people are making their case. And it seems like I don't know you because you're, you're, you're a linguist here as well. It's almost like instead of saying, and here's the reason why that's wrong. We're saying it's absurd, or it's nonsense to say what they're saying. Right. Uh, and, again, I think it's almost this impulse to well, we know somebody's wrong, so let me explain to you why they're wrong, rather than saying, here's somebody, again, now here I'm not talking about specific arguments around impeachment, but just in the the broader cultural discussions, do we actually enter into those with a posture that says, um, I actually want to investigate what somebody thinks about this, uh, even to the point of, you know, well, if you know if there were convincing arguments i might right. even change my mind right i mean yeah. it's almost yeah. like we we go into discussions only in order to reinforce our own position yeah. rather yeah. than to actually learn
1: which is uh in his last book that's kind of the point he makes that that so often uh, we like to think we that we think rationally uh but we we tend to think intuitively and then we use um you know, even really smart people use kind of rationality to justify what they've already kind of decided upon. And of course, you know, what we've already decided upon is often created by a whole number of contexts, right? Um, I was actually just having a friend with, with, or having a conversation with a friend last night about, um, you know, it kind of strikes me, this is this is right, like our, our sinful nature that I, th- I think there's, well, I'll throw this at you and you can tell me what you think. I, th- I think for a lot of us, and I'll include myself in this, I sort of want to be right more than I want to discover the truth Yeah, <laughs> like a yeah, lot. Right. Yeah. And so, so I think one of the ways I'm going to, I'm, I'm really trying to challenge myself lately is, um is not to jump like to a defense, to an immediate kind of like defense, you know, if someone challenges it, but to actually stop and, and to really consider it. Um That's hard work.
0: Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it is. And I think that's, you know, again, to bring it back to thinking about what what is it that we're trying to do, especially as we think about um, in our lives in general, but even in the in the college context, you know, the intellectual virtues, I think that's why those become so crucial, things like intellectual humility, intellectual honesty, intellectual courage, uh, intellectual fair mindedness that, you know, when we understand how virtues work, we, we, you know, we recognize that these are not things that we just naturally have. We're not naturally right. intellectually humble. We're not naturally uh, intellectually fair minded that, uh, you know, this is something that you have to train yourself just like a, you know, an athlete uh, trains their body so that, you know, muscle memory starts to become a second nature. Uh, if if we never, you know, in our in our lives, in our personal lives, in our in the process of education. If we never start to develop these habits, uh, then you're going to see that in the broader culture. And I, th- I think that's really, I mean, that's what they come back to at the end of the book is, is, you know, how do you educate for wisdom? How do you educate for intellectual virtues? Uh, and that's something that, again, it goes across the board. It, you know, this is not just uh, the college's job or school's jobs to do this. This is, it's parents uh, it's churches, Church, yeah. it's you know and, and so I think it's worth as Christians then, to say if if we want to have something to offer, if we want to be part of a, a culture that you know truly looks different that doesn't get kind of sucked into the broader cultural mindset on this, that you know we of all people should uh, not be people of fear, uh, mm-hmm. should not be people who are, you know, say, no, you can't talk about that. We can't, you know, we can't sit down and have an honest conversation and set our cards on the table and really think through this. You know, we of all people should be, uh, you know, cultivating this mindset that, yeah, let's, let's talk about this. Let's think through this. Let's work through this together. And then
1: be kind of generous and patient and charitable with each other. So right, uh, we probably have to go, but I have one quick question for you. What's the, what's the most practical, like, how are you going to change you know, is there one aspect of parenting or teaching or something just real practical that you're going to change after having read this book?
0: Yeah, that's a that's a good question. I mean, I think uh, partly it's in, it's encouraging to me as a parent because uh, he talks about some of the adverse effects of smartphones, which we're pre- we're pretty anti uh, anti technology. So uh, yeah, we're we're happily behind the times yeah. uh, with with Wendell Berry, but uh, I mean, I think one of the things that's actually really stood out to me. Uh, was the story and thinking about my own, my own students, uh, was Greg Lukianoff actually starts out the the book talking about uh, his own uh, struggles with suicidal ideation right. and attempts. And, you know, so that's, I mean, that's pretty heavy, that that's pretty deep. But in the process of the book, uh, he talks about uh, cognitive behavioral therapy and how that's been helpful for him. And just some basic tools there uh, that I think I have tried to, uh, in some ways, even kind of coach mm. students in the mm-hmm. classroom, uh, you know, that when you're, when you're tempted to, you know, catastrophize, yeah. uh, right. Where it's like, well, if I don't get this one assignment done, I'm, you know, my grade's going to drop my grade drop. I'm going to lose my scholarship. I'm not going to go to college and my life's going to be ruined. And you know, that our minds do cycle there. Right. Uh, and that right. it's easy to be overwhelmed and to go that direction. Um, but to, uh, just to have some practical tools there to say, you know what? Um, let's think about what this is and what it isn't and think about the positives and the negatives, uh, but to make sure that we're, we're having some clarity there. And so, um, that was a, that, that I would not have expected going into the book that that would be a kind of takeaway. Yeah. Uh, but it, I, I feel like it's helped me try to, uh, frame things, frame assignments in the classroom and mm. stuff like that in a way that, um, can, can be helpful for students. Um, because as, I mean, that's. Part of the goal of the book is to recognize that college students are in a pretty rough place uh, yeah. today. And so to think about what What's one one thing I can do? That yeah. was one thing that stuck with me. And
1: and I would say too that if if there are college students listening, I I would highly recommend this book. Um, obviously, just from our conversation, we kind of flitted around because there's so much in here, but it's a worthwhile read. And I and I think it's in some ways, especially for college students, yeah, uh, it would be really beneficial.
0: Yeah, I mean, I know we've mentioned before it would be it would be interesting just to read through this with students, just to get their feedback and and take on it because. I, I think most people kind of recognize, yeah, they're on to something. Um, but then to to really walk through that together, I think would be helpful. Uh, well, good. Well, Andrew, thanks for being here. Yeah, uh, thanks was- for taking the time. It's, again, uh, we're tackling pretty big books, pretty big topics, and just spending a few minutes talking about them. But hopefully uh, it's enough to get uh, wet people's appetite a little bit. And, yeah, we'd strongly recommend the book. So if you get the chance to uh, to read it, take a look at it, and want to give us some feedback, uh, we'd we'd love to hear from you. So thanks, Andrew. Yep. Thanks for having me. All right. We'll chat with you next time, everybody.